Hey everyone, uh, my name is John Daniels. Uh, I've been a Covenant community member here at The Well for about two years now. Um, I serve on the setup and teardown team here at The Well, and me and my beautiful wife, Jessamy, are stepping into CG shepherding. Um, yes, for the newest group here at The Well, um, which will be called South Lamar, so we accept any prayers, new members, uh, just hit us up, you know. Um, today I'll be reading from Exodus 35, verses 20 through 24. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of the meeting, for all of its services, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Citizens of heaven, how are we? Good, good, good. Um, hey, last week, or sort of last week in our generosity series. So we ready? All right, let's dive in. If you've been with us, you know that uh, we have been in our generous worship sermon series and um, really looking at how we can love God with our hearts and our souls and our minds and our strength, particularly when we think about the context of giving, though it applies to pretty much any area in our life at large. In fact, each week we put up this slide that kind of has the four different areas of heart, soul, mind, strength, and what we mean when we're thinking about those ideas. Now, for the next three weeks, we're actually going to be focusing on discipleship and how we see these four things play into other areas of our lives as well. We've been talking about giving, but we want to be able to apply this in each area that God has called us to be disciples in. And I hope in a lot of ways, many of you have already begun doing this, that when you think about reading your Bible or prayer or worship or loving your spouse or serving your neighbor or sharing the gospel or whatever it might be that you've begun to realize where maybe there's some absency of some areas but the fullness of others and really that you've taken a ton away more than just our financial giving. I hope that you've begun to feel equipped in other areas but we'll look at that for the next three weeks as well. But today though we're wrapping up the series and putting the application really of everything that we've learned so far when we think about this in the context of giving because we want to not just be hearers of the word but doers of the word also as you'll also hear in our men's and women's retreat if you're coming to that. And so um, as always in this season as I discussed each week I'd encourage you to dive back in if you've missed some of these elements because what we're going to be talking about today specifically is really going to uh, make us remember uh, what we've been discussing 
seen. And if you haven't been here, I'd encourage you, before you even kind of take the application of today, to go back and to listen to some of the reasons why we're doing what we're going to be doing today, that uh, we're committing to the local church to give generously in different ways. And as we think about our hearts and our minds and our souls being engaged, I want us to know why we are doing this and why we're thinking about this. Now, I've said this throughout the series kind of implicitly, but I actually want to say it explicitly here uh, today that one of the reasons that we're doing this series is that we believe that uh, because we are a predominantly young church, that if we grow in generosity and if we maintain this generosity throughout our entire lives, then the kingdom of God is going to be deeply impacted because of this, that eternity will be altered because of the sacrifices of of many. The church is not built on the talents or the riches of a few, but on the sacrifices of many. And if we learn how to love God in our generosity, then I believe that we will see churches planted for the glory of God, that we will see souls saved for the glory of God, that we will see disciples equipped or missionaries that are sent out or whatever it might be for the glory of God. And I believe that if we're faithful over the long haul, then we will actually see the gospel work multiply and Jesus glorified because this sort of God revelation happens most beautifully in the context of the local church. Now, the New Testament, it strongly implies that our giving should be going towards the local church because the local church is God's means of redeeming the world to himself. And while many other things are good and they're beautiful and they should also receive parts of our generosity for we are not a stingy people because we do not serve a stingy God, amen, but it has been established that the church of God uh, is what God has used to keep the gospel of Christ echoing forward from the time of Jesus until now. In other words, if it weren't for the church, you and I probably would not be Christians, To say it very plainly, if there was all this other generosity to other people that may be in need but not towards the local church, you probably would not have heard the gospel. And so it's the church of God that keeps the gospel of God echoing forward until God himself comes back and establishes the church eternal. And so we want to call our church to be generous to the church in part because we are wanting to fulfill what we believe the scriptures are proclaiming for us. We don't just teach the text and sit under the word because we believe there's some good moral principles. We believe this is the word of God, y'all. And that as we follow God's word, there is blessing in our life. And we believe that the gospel is the hope of the world. And we believe that the church, with all of her imperfections and all of her warts and all of her failures, is the best equipped to actually carry forth this gospel to the nations. That for whatever reason, God has chosen to use broken vessels to display his glory, maybe because through all the brokenness, you actually see the light shining through it. I believe that God wants to use the local church. And there's a reason why virtually every New Testament letter is written to churches or to leaders of churches. And even the book of Revelation, Christ himself is writing to seven churches It is the church of God that continues the gospel. So we want to focus on the church. 
This isn't just a New Testament theme, though, by the way. It's also in the Old Testament. The Old and the New Testament, just to get this in our mind, are not two segmented books. Our God never changes. So God is the same here as he is here, and he will always be the same. And so we actually see these themes carry throughout the scriptures at large. We see the emphasis on giving to the place where God has established his glory to be revealed, not just beginning with the church of God, but amongst the Israelites. Israelites who were the chosen people of God in the temple in Chronicles and in the tabernacle in Exodus 35, which is where we will be today. God gave them the privilege of getting to form the tabernacle, the place where God dwelt. Very similarly, God gives us the privilege of building the church, the place where God dwells. God dwells most evidently through the local church, and this is where God's work establishes and multiplies. So I want to look at one of the beginning ways that God did that today in Exodus 35 and how that carries out into the church at large and what we can do as the church of God to mimic this in a lot of ways. And so Exodus 35, um, we already read verse 20, but I want to start us back just a little bit for a little bit more context, and I want to pick it up in verse 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It'll also be on the screen. Exodus 35, beginning in verse 4. God, thank you for your word. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, uh, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastplate. Let every skilled craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. Now we see a few things here. First of all, we actually see that they're taking a special offering. We see that there in verse 5. The regular offerings were already established, but this was something above and beyond to accelerate the work of the Lord. You see that some brought money, like gold or silver or bronze. Some brought other goods for the day. God similarly, I believe, calls the New Testament church into a similar practice. Some bring money into the church. Others may not have as much of that, so they bring other talents. They are creatives or they lead worship, etc. You see that even here. They are skillful, you see, in their ability. Skillful, a really key word there. In other words, Tori shouldn't be trying out for the worship team, neither should some of y'all. Another summer for another day. I also shouldn't be the main one handling church's finances because I am not skillful at that. God has given different gifts to different people to edify the church at large. So there are different ways that you get to be a part of the work of God. Some had extra finances to give. We see that in verses 5 through 9. Verse 10, others had skills to bring to the table. It took a community to build a tabernacle for God to dwell with his people. The same is true for the church of God today. The church is not built on the talents of the few, but on the sacrifices of many. It takes a community to build up the church to where God can dwell most evidently with his people. Each of us has something or some things, plural, to offer the king of kings. 
Now, I want you to look at two phrases that you actually see there, and maybe you've seen them already, and if you don't, we'll do a little treasure hunt, because I'm not going to tell you right off the get-go, okay? But there's two phrases that are kind of echoed throughout this at large, and uh, I want to fast forward to the passage that John just read for us as well. And so if you could put 20 through 24 on the screen, but I also want to read verse 29 as well in the midst of that. After all of the bringing of all the stuff, verse 29 says, All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded Mimbozes to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. So do you see the themes? One of the themes that's very evident is that all of this giving was all voluntary. It was whoever was moved of heart. It actually says that over and over and over again. In fact, if you look, they were moved in heart or they were moved in their soul or their spirit is another way to say that. In fact, their mind and their strength were also engaged for whoever could make a contribution, which means they knew how much they could give, and they actually did it with their strength or their obedience. So their heart, soul, mind, and strength, as we've been studying throughout this series, were all very clearly engaged in this process. The Lord was moving, and they realized that, and they desired to be a part of it. This wasn't coerced, y'all, is what I'm saying. They just wanted to honor God, which we've been saying throughout this series at large as well. We've been asking you, hey, how can you or how is God calling you to grow in your generosity for the sake of God's name and God's glory, not the wells? The well doesn't really need that per se, though we may feel like it. The well is a tiny blip on the radar in the kingdom of God. This has less to do with the local church and more to do with the kingdom at large. And although we believe in the local church, God does not need us to do this, family. Our giving, as we see here, is a worship act unto God. And the more we can see it as such, I believe the more our hearts will begin to explode with adoration and with encouragement and with uh, even zeal and a passion for the Lord because it becomes less about what a church is doing and more about what God is doing. And when we are attached to what God is doing, I believe our souls come to life. It breathes again when we realize that we are tethered to the very mission of God, that we get to be a part of something that God is doing on this earth. You see, without that, we're just a part of what we are doing on this earth, and we all know in our souls that we will perish one day soon. But if we're a part of what God is doing, because God is eternal, we realize that the things that we are uh, uh, getting to partner with with God, it echoes throughout eternity, family. It doesn't just impact this earth, it impacts the generations to come, and it echoes forever. And so you may not want to give to the well, And I want to say very candidly and very almost pleading, if I can be your pastor, if I'm not for a moment, I want to encourage you, look, don't feel obligated to give to the well, but I beg of you, and I'm being sincere in this, please, please find some local church that you believe in. Some local church that is preaching the gospel of God and that is seeing the movement of God and partner with that church and give to that church because the church is God's means of redeeming the world, y'all. I want to encourage you to find somewhere, if not here, find somewhere that you trust and you believe in the mission and you want to see the gospel echoing forth. 
Listen, the Lord wants to use you in this, I believe. He does not want you sitting on the sidelines to just sit and consume. That's not why he saved you. God did not save you to be a consumer Christian. God saved you to get in the game and to do something, and we can get in the game even in something material like our money, y'all. We get to partner with God in this, and I believe that when we don't do that, we're missing the joy of seeing Christ move in our life. And so if not the well, somewhere where you can see God moving, partner with God to build up the local church family of God, You can see this in massive ways or in small, mundane, intangible ways. He saved you to be a part of this family. This is true in your serving. This is true in your time. This is true in your giving or any of your efforts and energy unto the Lord. If you give with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you are a part of the kingdom of God moving on earth. I believe that deeply. Now notice the other theme throughout this text All of this generosity was for who? It was for the Lord, right? You see that highlighted there. That's the other theme. All of this is being given as a worship act unto God. The hope is that God would use this and then display his glory amongst the people, ultimately leading more people to trust and obey God because they see God moving. We're doing the same thing as a church as well. This is not for the church. We desire to see God moving. And we pray all the time as elders and as staff. And you pray with us as we pray at the end of sermons. God, if this is for us, then shut this joint down. But if this is for you, Lord, and if you're moving, then we desire to be a part of that. This is all being done as unto the Lord. In fact, look at how this ends. After they begin to give to God, if you flip over to chapter 36, we see in verse 3, all of a sudden this, this, this power of God moving through very normal or material ways. 36, verse 3. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people are bringing much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave, uh, so Moses gave a command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. What in the world would this look like? Right? Like, hey guys, please stop giving We have too much money and we don't know what to do with it, right? Like, I've never heard that said from stage at any church ever, okay? But Exodus tells them that they were giving according to their heart, and then God was moving, or the Spirit of God was moving in really beautiful ways through this. We see this similarly in the building of the temple in 1 Chronicles 29, where there was more than enough to be done. We see it similarly again in Ezra chapter 1 through 3, where they are bringing enough so that the even, uh, the exiled people returning back 
back would be able to worship again. We see it again in Acts chapter 4, where there was not a need amongst the church because everybody was giving and giving and giving. Paul says it again in the book of Philippians, that the poor church of Macedonia, which we've been learning about in 2 Corinthians, was giving enough so that he had everything he needed for his ministry. When we realize that material means can bring about spiritual realities and then we give towards such, beautiful things happen, family. God is glorified. A.W. Tozer, a 20th century pastor and author, he said this. He said, as base a thing as money often is, yet it can be transmuted into everlasting treasure. It can be converted into food for the hungry and clothing for the poor. It can keep a missionary actively winning lost men to the light of the gospel and thus transmute itself into heavenly values. Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. Yeesh. I need to like get that tattooed somewhere on me. And so listen, in a minute, we want to do something similar that the Israelites did here and commit to the work of the Lord. Now, I want to admit that there's this kind of fun and exciting and easy to engage the heart sort of giving. That's for these big things where we see an immediate impact and it stirs up our affections and we're like, yeah, let's give to that, right? And then there's kind of the boring but the necessary giving as well, like paying use of salary, Boring. (laughs) But both are necessary for the work of the gospel. You see, they both bring this extreme value, sometimes the boring more than the exciting over the long haul. Sometimes the faithfulness of obedience over the long haul makes a deeper impact than the immediate kind of, ooh, joy, thrill of the heart type of giving. And so for some of us, our giving is actually us beginning the work of the Lord. It's us beginning to move into obedience. We have never really given much, or if we have, it has been sporadic. And maybe for some of us, it is the the tithing type of thing, like the regular, the committed, the consistent sort of giving that goes to advancing the work of the gospel through the local church. That may be where God has been calling you throughout this series to grow, is in your obedience or in your thoughtfulness, that you grow with your strength and with your mind in that sense. To others, that giving may be above and beyond in this season, like with the vision fund that we've been talking about, and I want to highlight it once again, because we're actually praying as elders if we want to do a vision fund every year and do a giving Sunday sort of thing, so where we can always be advancing the work of the gospel in some really beautiful ways. And there's always going to be needs. We know that we're not meeting in a place that we can really call home yet. And so that's the biggest need that we have right now. But next year, the biggest need might be something totally different. And a decade from now, it might be something different as well. And we've been praying, like, what would it look like to just once a year not just do the ordinary but even accelerate some of the work of the gospel? Because some of the things we actually want to keep on there forever. Our biggest vision is to plant churches both nationally and internationally, even as you saw at the start of this gathering with the Barcelona team. And we desire to even accelerate that work. And so what would it look like to not just set aside the 15% that we already do but even bring in more that we may be able to do more faster for the sake of the gospel. 
But even within our focus of the minority residency, I think about the importance of building up other leaders who often do not get the opportunity to be built up. Even as we're planting churches and sending missionaries, our prayer is that the majority of them will actually be minorities, that we can begin to kind of shift the climate and the culture some of what we see in evangelicalism today. And so our focus, it actually might stay the same for years because if we want to break down some of the barriers that often exist, one of the biggest barriers is financial support. Because usually when you step into ministry, your first couple of uh, roles, couple of years is usually support-based. In other words, it comes from outside of the church, not inside of the church. And then slowly but surely you get to work your way into where the local church supplies your need. And so when you think about that, oftentimes because of different contexts within minority settings, it's a lot harder to raise support. And so you may know people who desire to do ministry, and yet this idea of finances kind of pumps the brakes in some ways on their ministry. Or you may be in here yourself going, man, I've kind of been thinking about ministry, but it's hard to do that when I think about this barrier. We want to shatter those dang barriers. And not only do we believe that we can shatter the financial barrier, but even as a team and as a church, because this is our heartbeat, we desire to see diversity, we believe we can train in ways that most other places can't. In fact, even over this weekend, I got to uh, go to the, the Goer Gathering, which is Launch Global, somebody we partner with that mobilizes missionaries overseas. And we got to sit down in uh, a minority setting with all the minorities from Launch Global. And one of the biggest things that we realize is even in some of the training, it can miss the mark every once in a while because in a majority culture, to give is actually a really honorable thing. But in a minority culture, to ask often seems like begging and it becomes a hindrance to the ministry. So when you train people backwards, then it actually stunts their ability to go forward. But we believe that we know these problems because we are minorities. There are people on our team that understand this, or even the majority culture friends on our team have a massive heart for this. And so we can then begin to shift the tide on this some. And so that's why we want to give to this. Listen, all of the desire, I believe, it often gets kind of pumped and limited just because nobody tends to focus on this. So we go, let's focus on this. In fact, I want us to think about this for a minute because um, there's this kind of uh, barrier that we often experience as minorities that I think in our church we can break it down in beautiful, beautiful ways. But the barrier comes in where financially or training or whatever it might be, it's hard for us to jump into ministry. And so I saw this stat recently. The question was asked to uh, millennial believers, so believers kind of in this sort of general uh, uh, population that the well tends to kind of be in, that, hey, if you could do ministry, right, and if you were being called to even go overseas and to kind of lay your life down, would you? And they asked all of these committed uh, Christians. By committed, the goal there was that they went to church at least three times a month. And so that was it. That was the only goal, which often in our culture, that means, man, I'm really desiring of this. And they asked, would you be willing to go? Now, I want you to think of black, whites, Latino, and Asian, kind of the four major uh, ethnic kind of subcategories, if you will, What do you think the answer percentage was of like, yes, I would be willing to lay it all down and go? 
Because remember, there's all these barriers and there's all these uh, hindrances to allow minorities to often be able to go. What would you categorize it in your head? Who would you say would be the most willing to say, yes, I'm ready to go into ministry? Who's the second most willing to say, yes, I'm willing to go into ministry, the third and the fourth? I want you to go to the next slide real quick. That's the percentages of potential missionaries. Now, the beautiful thing is that in every single category, at least half of the people would go, yo, if God called me overseas, I'd be ready to go. That's saying something about our generation, y'all. You know how often we kind of throw shade on the generation, like, ah, we don't really know what we want to do. We ready. It's like, hey, send me, I'll go. So there's beauty and there's power in the midst of this. But I've asked every minority this question, and not a single person has gotten it right, because we all know the barriers that often prevent people of going into ministry. But if you go to the next slide, this is what it looked like. You see, very interestingly, it was minority cultures that had the most desire to go. But then when you look at missionaries, 91.5% of them are from the majority or white culture. So why is it that the people that are kind of least ready to give up everything are the most willing to go? There must be some sort of barrier that can be easily broken if you focus on it. Because God wants to take these desires and use them for his glory. So when we talk about this being our focus, it ain't because we're trying to look cool or be culturally relevant as a church. We're saying we want to take that and say, let's go take over the dang world. Let's make much of our King Jesus together. And we believe that if we do specific things like break down that money barrier or the training barrier, that we can see this become more of a reality. You see, the thought is, oh, maybe they just don't want to go. Maybe there's too many problems at home. No, we want to go. How can we help us get there? And so we want to be a part of the work of God, whatever that might look like. We want to be able to train not just minorities, but majority culture as well, and to be this really beautiful, almost chaotic family and really reflect the kingdom of God. In fact, I hope that it's not just millennials in 20s to 30-somethings going, but we want to see the older generation go as well and the older generation come into our church and build up that they may send us out because we then become people with more character as we face the experience that they have and are discipled by our older brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, ultimately, family, there's a reason why we're generous in the first place, And all of this, it actually stems back to our beautiful Savior, Jesus. You see, all of this strategy and all of this talking, and we can easily kind of put together a PowerPoint slide to woo the heart, but that is worthless. If it ain't the Lord that's doing it, then why are we doing that? This ain't some weird pitch to get a little bit extra. Like, we believe this is part of the kingdom of God. But our hearts are most motivated when we look to the ultimate person, Jesus himself, Even in the story that we just read about the Israelites giving, Jesus is our better example and the greater Israel here. You see, they gave willingly out of what they had, and they actually gave more than enough, it says, too much. This is a beautiful example of Israel. It's often not honored in this way, but they were like, yo, they giving too much, tell them to stop. But Christ exceeded this, witness, and with so much more. You see, Christ gave of himself willingly a free will offering just like the Israelites did. You see, Jesus did not have to do this. The Father did not need to set redemption in motion, and yet he did. 
The Son willingly gave his life that you and I might be saved. And note this, family, Jesus did not just give himself as a sin offering or as a burnt offering. In other words, out of obedience. He didn't just give the minimum amount necessary. He did not just tithe his blood and do just enough to then satisfy the law of God. There was no minimum amount for Christ. You see, Jesus could have died and he could have taken our place and that would have been enough. Honestly, that would have been more than enough, too much, already an undeserved blessing. Yet Jesus did not just offer himself as a sin offering, but as a free will offering as well, because he continually pours out his blood to the entire world, the scriptures say, more than enough. Even though not everybody accepts him, he pours out more and more and more that people would understand this great. His heart moved him, the scripture says, just like the heart moved the Israelites here, and he gave us this eternal life, y'all. But he did not just give us eternal life. He gave us the spirit of God that now dwells inside of us as believers. Hallelujah. And he also gave us revelation and wisdom. And he gave us a community that we may belong to. You are not isolated on an island anymore, but a part of the saints of the church at large, all of generations, all of history, coming together under the same blood-bought banner to worship our God together. He gave that to you, y'all. He did not have to do this. He made us ambassadors and made us temples and gave us purpose and we will sit on the throne of Jesus one day. He redeemed your mistakes. He overcame all of your struggles. He pours and he pours and he pours. He is the ultimate free will offering who his giving is almost too much, y'all. It is almost too much. Praise our God. Moses told them to stop giving because they didn't know what to do with the excess. Our God will never tell the son to stop giving because he loves to pour out on his saints. You receive so much from God the Father. Ephesians chapter 1, it'll be on the screen. Verse 7 says this, In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. That word lavished is the same word as too much overflowing, running over. It's this idea of having a cup and it overflowing. Like Psalm 23 says, saints of God, your cup overfloweth. It continually runs over and over. You cannot outgive God because if you gave the rest of your life, God would beat you because he's always giving to you. God gives and gives and gives too much to handle. Listen, I know that at times this reality can feel hard because we live in a world that often tries to rob the gifts of God, but you also know the true gospel that you are going to a place where nothing can rob anymore, where the thief cannot bring break in and the moth cannot destroy, God gives and he 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 gives, family. Jesus is the ultimate free will offering. And the ironic thing is that because of this, even when we're stingy or even showy with our giving, thinking that we're righteous because of how much we give, he covers our guilt. You see, Jesus was never stingy. He poured out his blood for all. And he was never showy, he was humble, and he did it willingly out of love, not even needing any of us to accept it, but receiving that acceptance out of his mercy and love towards us. Now we don't have to find our righteousness and our giving. Jesus gave, and therefore we are righteous. 
And so this is the very thing that should make us want to give. It should make us want to experience the truth and show that truth to others to advance the work of God. And so what we're going to do right now is actually practice all of what we said that we are building up towards in this series. We want to make a commitment to God. In fact, on the screen, there will be a commitment card that you can go to, thewellawson.com slash generosity. And here's what we're going to do. For some of us, our commitment may be giving in our strength. If you missed the sermon, go check it out. But what does it look like to tithe or to give regularly as unto the Lord consistently, intentionally in the midst of that? Maybe for some of us, it is to give with our soul this overabundance, this sacrificial giving, this, this giving kind of above and beyond. In fact, in Exodus chapter 35, verse 20, Moses says this, He says, then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. That's what we read at first. Why is that important? Because we ain't trying to manipulate y'all. Like, I don't want you to give right now. I want you to go and I want you to pray and to ask God, what do you want me to do, God? How do you want me to give? And we're going to depart and we're going to go home and we're going to pray about it so that it's on our hearts that God kind of pulls us, not on our emotions only, but we begin to give with all of ourselves. If you go back to that commitment slide, maybe for some of us it's giving with our mind. We don't know where our budget is. We don't know how to balance. And so we need to take the money-wise class even. Not all of it is about giving. Some of it is about learning so that we can then do more later. That often happens in the Christian church as well. You see, ultimately, family, we want to give because we believe in the local church. I told y'all at the start of the series that I often had a really difficult time doing money talks because it felt like we're prodding and pulling. And I realized and got rebuked and I repented to y'all and I want to repent again and say, I know that money has so much idolatry in our life. And it feels weird to say, give to the local church. And it feels like I want to caveat, like, but we don't need it and we don't. No, skip that. This is the place where God dwells. This is the place where God displays his glory. We do want you to give, if not to the well, to some local church, because we believe in it. We believe that God does a work when we are generous with our finances, and it begins to mold us to looking like Jesus, who was generous for us. And so what I want to encourage you to do right now, we're going to literally take three or four minutes of prayer, and it can feel kind of awkward if we're silent, okay? But I want to encourage you, don't feel awkward. We should probably be more silent in church sometimes, honestly. And I want you to begin to just listen to the Lord. I want you to pull out your phone and pray, God, is there any of these things that I already have felt convicted of, maybe throughout this series at large or maybe even today, And I want you to click on it today. It's not going to ask you to give today. It's going to shoot you an email so it can remind you to pray about it later. Now, that email is going to look really, really uh, like like we just typed it. It's automated responses, all right? We're going to make you feel loved, though, okay? But we're going to send it right now so you can sit and you can pray about it. And maybe there's multiple things. You can click multiple boxes. But I want to sit here, and I want you to pull it out. I want you to physically pull out your phone. I want you to do this, and maybe you're like, I ain't trying to give to the world. That's cool. Like I told you, give to some local church. But I do want you to look through those and at least pray. At least pray for the well as you're seeing what we're thinking about. Maybe you are already generous in all of these ways. Praise God. Go back to the commitment card and maybe make a commitment to pray for the church more or to give more time or whatever it might be. Or maybe just pray for the many people in here who aren't giving out of an overflow of the heart. 
We're only given out of obedience or mind or whatever it might be. And so pray for yourself. When you get done, if you're done really fast, you're already done while you can multitask, you can listen and do it, that's great. Pray for other people in this church. And we're gonna sit here, we're gonna pray for a little bit, and then I'm gonna close us in prayer as well. And so let's pray, let's do this together for the next three or four minutes here. Hey, on November 7th, we're doing Celebration Sunday. I really wanna encourage you to come come to it. Baptisms. If you haven't been baptized, get baptized, y'all. It's part of loving of Jesus with our strength, out of our obedience. Child dedications, and we're commissioning our church plant, the very thing that we're trying to give to, we're commissioning that out. And we hope that more and more and more of those come, that God uses that in some really beautiful ways. We're also going to celebrate what we were giving. For some of us, it was giving to the Vision Fund, and I wanna be really tangible of like, yo, because of this, we can see five, 10, 50 minorities that are able to be trained up. We wanna celebrate that. We wanna celebrate, hey, for some of us, it was just an increase in general giving that allows us to do things better, faster, deeper in the kingdom of God. But I pray that as you give, and maybe you didn't feel, you didn't know yet, man, go home and listen, think about it over the next couple of weeks as Moses sent the people away to think. But I pray that as you give, be it your money or your serving or your time or your talents or your treasures, that you would feel God's pleasure. It's actually my prayer for you, that you would feel God's pleasure, that if no human ever honors you, like we talked about in the, uh, the, the mind portion of the series, if nobody ever talks about it, that you would know that God sees it. If the church comes and tries to manipulate it and does uh, ratchet things with it, that God will never manipulate you, family that he sees it and will reward that at the end, that you would feel God's pleasure. And I pray that you would see that any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth and that whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. I love you guys. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your gift that you gave. God, I pray for the person who, maybe this is the first time at the well, and maybe they don't even have a relationship with you. I admit and confess, it feels like an awkward Sunday. I wanna, wanna preach more of the gospel. Well, this is the gospel, Jesus. You gave, and out of your generosity, we can now have life with you forever. And so God, I pray for those who do not have that relationship with you, who have not received this generosity, who only receives the stinginess of the world, who only receives the, the sucking of the world, who wants to take and take and take from us, God. I pray that today they would receive the generosity of you, their Savior. They would see you are not a God that demands us in some sort of perfection. You are not a God who takes, you're a God who gives. And God, I pray for those of us who have received that gift, You've given your son to us. I pray that we would receive that gift. We would recognize your generosity. That would uh, thrill our hearts, that there would be joy in the midst of it, that you would shake off the rust and bust through that hard heart that forgets about the beauty of the gospel. Jesus, as I pray and as I think and as I, I talk about this, I can feel my own heart at times just want to go out and forget about what you've done or who you are. You are God. 
You have given it all. I have life, life forever and ever. That no matter my lot on this earth, I know where I am going and I know what will be mine. You, you will be mine. You will be ours. And so God, I pray that we would believe that and that we would walk in that. And God, that whether we give a dollar or a million, whether we give a minute or our lives, whether we give whatever it might be, that we would genuinely feel your pleasure. That's what I ask for the men and women in this room. Would we feel your pleasure as we serve, as we lay down our life when it's hard sometimes, as we give to people who do just kind of take sometimes. I pray that we would see that you're not a God who does that. You will give back in return. Let us give, let us love, let us trust the scriptures, and really, let us trust you, Jesus. We love you, Christ. We praise things in your beautiful name. Amen.